and welcome to Cinephiles Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today we have Emmanuel Manzanares. Stunt director. Stunt choreographer. Stunt performer. We can't wait to speak to him. He's on the line right now, just ready for us. We can't wait to speak to him right now. How are all of you guys doing? We're still in lockdown. Still locked in. What books are you reading? What movies are you watching? I'm interested. Give us a call. 515-602-9609. Well, just like every other day, I tell you about walking down the street. You know, (laughs) I'm telling you. I went to go see my doctor the other day. And he wasn't wearing a mask. <laughs> and I was wearing an N95 mask. And, and he made a comment about how it, it makes no difference what mask I'm wearing. You know why it makes no difference? Because you're not wearing a mask. <laughs> what a horse's ass. Incredible. Are you guys keeping safe? Let's bring our guest in right now. He's got a long resume. He's got a lot of things going on. I want to talk about all the things that he's been included in, working with. We know this, some a lot of the same people. Can't wait to talk about, about that. Let's give him a little clap track here. Manuel. Hey. Hey. It's great to have people who are cheering you on. These lockdown times, I see. Yeah. You know, before we get started, let me ask you, you know, how are you and your family doing right now during the lockdown? Uh, it's good. We're in Chicago and, um, it's been just good to be in a community. Uh, my wife and I had purchased a home about a year ago now, almost. And yeah, it's just been nice to be in a a good community, you know, a good solid community. So we have good neighbors and just kind of checking in on each other. And at least yeah. for us, the experience has been good. Are, are you Chicago born? Uh, yes, I'm born and raised. Nice. I, I went to Chicago around seven months ago, eight months ago. And had a heck of a time. I, I, I loved it there. You know, I'm one of those geeks who just, I wanted to take pictures of all the parts where Batman was was uh, was shot. No, totally. Yeah, our city's known for really great architecture and obviously food. Um, yes. It's really easy to get around, you know? So, yeah. Well, yeah, the food's it, great. Second City is fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's awesome. I'm glad you had a great time. Yeah, I had a great time. So what was it like being born in Chicago? You know, how, how did film into your life being born in, 
not a place that is commonly known for the film industry. Um, yeah, I guess it's known more for theater, you know? Right. A lot of yeah. and uh, comedy. comedy. Right. Yeah. Um, it came through just through my family. So I grew up in a household of about five or six family members. I was the only child, but I was living with um, my mother and then my aunt, my uncle, her siblings, and then uh, my grandparents. Are you and, the youngest? Uh, yes, I was the youngest of the family. <laughs> and, uh, everybody was, was working for the most part, but what we tended to do was, uh, if not go to the movies a lot, we'd go to, right. you know, like a mom-and-pop video store. I wouldn't really wasn't really into like a, a blockbuster or any of that kind of stuff until I was much older, kind of when they were getting phased out because, you know, we just didn't have the expenses to pay for something like that. But right. anyway, there's a lot of mom and pop shops. And so, you know, to get um, movies for myself, uh, my grandparents or whoever was watching me at the time would get a movie, you know, for themselves. And that would kind of be, we only had one TV for everybody. So that would be the, the norm is, I'd watch my movie and then <clears throat> afterwards they'd watch their movie. But because we're all in the same house, eventually I just started getting curious of, you know, what these noises were in the living room and what they're watching, <laughs> whatever it is. Right. You know, kind of get to a point where I would stay and watch, but you know, I, I think inherently they knew what they were watching is obviously not what a kid would be watching, even if it's whatever genre it is, but then what, what, what kind of films were those? Cause I, I remember for my 10th birthday, my uh, mother rented The Secret of Nim and Ramble First Blood, so it, it you know, it, you know, it's it, it's one of those things where they accepted violence over sex. Go ahead. Yeah, but no, totally. That that's pretty much how it would be. Like you know, I would watch a Disney movie at the time, yeah. and then I remember watching. Um, gosh, I, I can't remember the first. I guess like action sci-fi film that I really watched, but I guess what I, right. I really think about is probably something like, yeah, like Die Hard or Predator, you know, like right. Aliens, something like that's actiony. But in my head, the irony is, I, I guess it wasn't until later that I started realizing the the gravity of all the violence. But back then, I was sure. like, they're just they're shooting people. Like I don't, you know, it's fake. And I guess it helped right. that my family was. Like, oh, yeah, you know, it's it's entertainment. It's not real. Um, right. But, yeah, that's what it would be. It would be uh, if if they had that on, you know, they were like, okay, well, the only rule is if you're afraid, then just go away. You know, don't right. don't sit there and freak out. Just walk away then. <laughs> but if you're not, then you're going to stay here and shut up. And I'm like, yeah. okay. So <laughs> now, are, you, are, are, you, are you first generation? Um, mm, yes, technically, yes, because my mother and, uh, well, actually second, because my aunt was born here, but my mother okay. and her brother were born in uh, Mexico. We're all Mexico. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm first generation, but, um, so I, I understand the, you, you know, we're, we're taught very different things than people who've right. been like fifth generation things. So, you know, for, for me, it was, you know, violence is okay. Sex is not okay. Yes, and that's pretty much kind of the the irony of that, I guess. Yeah. And now, yes. um, that's what's funny. You know, now thinking about it, like, because I have two younger brothers that happened right. much later in my life. Um, they were raised completely, like you said, completely differently. Right. Completely exposed to different things. 
Um, and it's funny, well, you know, growing up and watching my mother raise them, because I'm like, oh, that's that's like not at all. But <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, was, With me. Yeah. But no, you're absolutely right. Like, And I think it's just a product of those times, too. You know, right. I grew up in not a great area. So in order to prevent me from being too exposed to that, you know, yeah. I read a lot and uh, they had me watch a lot of TV because my my mother was a single mother, so she couldn't really afford uh, daycare right. for a little bit. Right. And then... Um, so you're, are you, uh, you consider yourself a Lasky child? Uh, yeah, I mean, to a degree. I, I think yeah. I didn't know what that was until I was like in sixth grade or something, seventh grade. Okay. Which is funny. Yeah. You know, because, I don't know, like it was all very normal to me. I never felt sure. like uh like i was alone in any way or anything like right that. it was just like oh right working everybody has a purpose which they right. did you know they all sure had jobs and things to support and so it was very normal for me to to watch tv or watch a movie you know right. we did a lot of uh music listening you know records yeah. and tapes and um keep yourself occupied take care of your family totally you know yeah so that's that's how it was growing up so yeah because of them, that's where I was able to um, have this vast, I guess, like cinephile, you know, knowledge. Because I grew up just loving everything for the most part, you know, right. watching what we could. Then it got to a point where I was old enough to, um, you know, pick out other films that weren't uh, kids' movies, you right? Know, that I didn't mind watching. Because um, I remember going to those kind of mom and pop shops and just like a library, like looking at all the sure. box art. Everything. Yeah. You know, especially like at horror and things like that. Well, you, like, you, you were born in 1985, which is, I would say, the golden era of filmmaking. I mean, we had Pee Wee Herman's Greatest Adventures. We had uh, Godzilla in 1985. We had Ghostbusters. It, it was some of the greatest movies were created when you were born. Yep. Yeah, that whole year. Um, and then obviously the subsequent years were just yeah. a, a great age of filmmaking, you know, and just everything changed. Practical, yeah. Everything changed. They were starting to implement CG and then obviously going into the nineties, like everything just bubbled up. It was a, I'm very lucky to be part of that analog world and understanding, you know, right. the importance of the era as right. opposed to uh, now everything is so digital. And, and it is funny because it's like, I feel like I'm the last of a generation that really understood uh, the means of that and why those things were implemented and just how those things have evolved now, especially into today's filmmaking, you know, what's going right. on nowadays. Um, yeah. So it's wild. It's crazy. You know, before we go any further, you know, I was talking to Caitlin Hudson yesterday and she saw that you were going to be on today and she just wanted to say hello and that she considered you a mentor. I don't know. I, I don't know what your relationship is, but you know that that's that was very sweet of her. Oh yeah, thank you. Well, thank you, Caitlin. Um, yeah, there's. I was just well before obviously all these lockdowns and things were happening. I was in LA for uh, first half of the year for a little bit, yeah. just kind of working on some TV shows. And she was a a part of those shows a couple of times. I have known of her work through another independent um peer of mine named brian sloyer yeah and that's another gentleman that i've brought up um mentoring as well 
but then he's gone on to create his own great, amazing things, and he's brought right. uh, other people, you know, that have come up in the same way, Caitlin being one of them. So right. he's given a lot of younger L.A. Uh, stunt talent opportunities to to go beyond just what their means are, you know, like figuring out what it means to perform and act and to do things like that. Uh, well, before we yeah. get on to your, uh, how you mentored people, because it's obvious that you – you've really been a part of people's lives. What, what, how did it start for you in the acting sphere? Cause you're obviously doing everything from editing to stunt organization, to stunt choreography, to stunt performing. You, you've done everything. Uh, what, what, what brought you to acting first and, and how did it inspire you? Um, when I got into a uh, program for theater at uh, UIC in University of yeah in Chicago, Chicago. yeah yeah um, so at the time like I remember I was thirteen I was really into Jackie Chan and Hong Kong cinema in general you know and um, I decided what's your favorite there, what's your favorite Jackie Chan film ooh that's hard come on that's um, not hard. No, it's pretty hard. He's made. <laughs> I always well, <laughs> me and my buddy uh, uh, Alvin that you've interviewed before. We always get into discussions about it, like yeah, you know the depths of it. But I would probably say the the one I've watched the most is Drunken Master Two. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's those 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 scenes are insane. You you do know that he took over directing after the train scene, right? Yep. yep. There's, I've talked that, to a lot of people that have worked with him closely, that have been, in, you know, in his history, or he right. told his side of it. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, just the stories from that film are insane. It's like, you know, the yeah. whole, he, the whole original cut being shown at the the board of directors for, you know, right. some association over there, and then. Well, the original one from China, yeah. it, it had the original soundtrack. And then when you went to yep. the American cut, it had a new soundtrack, which actually did not fit at all. But it, it, it's one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. No, it's it's a great overall film. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, just those behind the scenes of those stories like that. But anyway, um, I, yeah, at 13, I decided to myself for whatever reason that I wanted to be a stuntman. Right. <laughs> because that's what I thought, like, being a stuntman was in the sense of uh, not a fully fledged American stuntman, but I guess, you know, looking at Jackie being like, Oh, well he started as a stuntman and then he became right. a choreographer, became an actor, performer, um, and then a director, you know, and then he still continued to do all facets of those things. Right. And at that time I was like, well, you know, I want to learn more about this, this process. And as I got older, um, and just kind of looking to the history of directors that I really enjoy, uh, like Spielberg and Scorsese, and I believe Coppola as well. They started when they first started. They went to oh, the classics, yeah. Program, yeah, classical theater or, uh, program or you know university, and in order to learn the basis of acting, in order so that they can communicate with their actors. Right. And I'm like, well, theater is the predecessors to that so maybe i should do a similar route and so well they were studying meisner and Chekhov and what have you so they were yeah. really brilliant actors yeah um, 
what was nice is the the program that I was part of had a directing block to it, like a directing yeah. set design, costumes and things like that. So eventually sure. I gravitated towards that. But uh, it I would say it really, really benefited me just in terms of relating everything back to performance, relating everything back to communicating with your crew and your actors and just, you know, when mm. you need to um, bring something simple, you know, or, or visceral or just reactive back into a performance sure. um, as opposed to something like flashy, you know, or letting that, that moment happen naturally. And then it right. excites everybody. It, it, it really helped me to do that in choreography that I would like to do. Um, because that's kind of what it did. And what I was doing in the, with the program at the time was I was learning how to uh, shoot and edit and, you know, produce my own content. I would make these online like fight videos and things like that because I wanted to. And I was inspired by a Bay area group called some people led by a gentleman named uh, Eric Jacobus. And there's another mm-hmm. gentleman in LA still, who's a very good friend of mine, um, Vlad Rimberg who was kind of doing the same thing. And then there's other people that are now, you know, amazing performers and coordinators. There was another team called Zero Gravity, which has, uh, you know, some performers like Tony Hsu and Aaron Tony, uh, Ruben Langdon, Sam Locke, Latif Crowder. And there's another yeah. team called Real which had Sam Hargrave, Thayer Harris, Daniel Stevens, uh, Holland Diaz, a, a bunch of different now amazing doubles, performers, coordinators, directors, you know, Sam just directed Extraction. Right. You're, you're, you're getting you're getting way ahead of me. <laughs> you're getting way ahead of me right now. But but I, I wanted to go back. I wanted to, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just giving the history of it because it's like these all these people were shaping me besides me going into theater. And I just kind of I'm just basically making clear that I was doing both at the same time. So I was right. kind of fulfilling understanding of acting and then going and shooting my own stuff, trial and error. To right. It, you know, right. Right. Yeah, how how was that like? You know, sharing the experience with like academia and then real life. Um. Great. Actually, I I learned the most from that than actually being in the classroom. Right. Um. Because and, and it's not against the program. It's not against uh, the teacher no. or anything like that. Just that, no, no. like, I think it came from a martial background anyway, like a thought process, because when I was learning martial arts, that's how um, my teachers would be. They would, they would have a very forward progressive way of thinking, like, you know, understanding the tradition of something, right. The base literally. And then once you understand it, you start to bend it and, and go and test it, you know, what really works for you, what doesn't, what's going to be applicable uh, for you. And understanding the difference between right. teaching someone that theory and why it works or doesn't work, right? Right. Because bodies are different, right? Every even though the techniques are perhaps sound, um, the way you or I implement them are going to be vastly different. Just well, let, let, let's go back yeah. to your martial art experience. Did Did you join a martial art school when you were young? Um, I did briefly. Uh, okay. Before that. I was taught uh, boxing with my family. Uh, okay. My grandfather was taught by his father, who was a prize fighter in Mexico. And nice. so then my grandfather was, you know, teaching my uncle, and then he, he taught me boxing. But, 
yeah, like when I was about seven, my mother enrolled me in a, a karate school, a Goju okay. style. Oh, Gojun Ryu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the original Mr. Miyagi style, by the way. Yeah, the original Gojiru style. Yeah, very traditional, um, you know, karate style. And what was great about that is the teacher uh, was a Latino man who had traveled to Japan and, and learned in Japan and learned nice. very traditional. Um, but when he came and taught in Chicago, what was great is he just had this very, you know, old school, like, he wasn't charging a lot compared to other schools at the time. It wasn't right. about, like, the uniforms or the, the enrollment. It was just... I think it was something like fifty dollars. Yeah, like sixty or fifty dollars a month. Yep. And that included yep. everything you needed. And then he basically was like, "Yep, for two hours of the day, I own your child." That's right. That's all right. I asked for. You know, like you can't. They they had a rating area for um, the parents, but they couldn't look in into the area. They couldn't step <laughs> and watch. Like they did it. That's classic style. Around. Yeah. And yeah, it was funny because I remember being older and having to help teach some of these younger kids because he started them, I think, as young as six. Like, that's wow. probably the youngest. Yeah. You know? Um, and even then, he had to really be like, I have to see. Because, you know, if they were just being kids, he's like, well, they just, you know, they're not there yet. They're not mentally there to understand. And I'm not going to force yeah. them to do it. I give him sure. a lot of credit. But anyway, um, yeah, his his whole thing was to kind of do what I'm saying is like, you know, because I had already learned a style when he kind of put me into sparring, I naturally started doing boxing. Right. Because I wouldn't understand how to apply these forms and stances, but he'd be very adamant about, no, I want you to, to stay in there and try to use it. And if it feels weird and clunky, like I want you to start questioning it. I want you to start understanding why that's not working. And it's not always just, oh, the technique is bad. Oh, I'm not this. I'm, you know, it's like, think about it. And then it's on you to go and and try to figure it out and then come back with questions that, you know, are applicable, not just, oh, I'm not fast enough. How can I get faster? You know, I'm not strong enough. How can I get stronger? Um, Right. And so that's what was really great. And because I kind of have taken that, forever, you know, since then in anything that I've done um, or any martial arts that I've done. It's just, I really kind of go in and and learn it for what it is. Um, And then after understanding the base for myself and and checking in, you know, I I go and see where it takes me, you know, like where the limits of And it's okay if it's not going to get me over whatever obstacle, you know, then I'll understand why I have to use something new to get over, you know, but it doesn't mean I, I throw that old thing away just because if anything, I blend it, you know, or I, right. I combine whatever it is. So yeah, that helped right. me so much doing the academia, going and testing all this film stuff at the meantime, because then it was like, well, does this work for screen? Does this work for whatever performance I want to do? You know, does it feel fake? Does it feel real? Like I was going right. in and testing. Uh, so it was cool. Really what, did, what, did you, what did you do about that, you know, to transfer over from, a, you know, a, a classic style that, that absolutely works and is, is, a, is a beautiful style to more, more stunt work and, and things that you need to, like, you know, throw the punch past the person and what have you? I think, um, you know, watching a lot of the, the Hong Kong cinema guys gave me a great base to see 
why things were bigger than what they had to be, you know, right. why things had to be shown. And then obviously just like, you know, reading and watching what uh, Jackie had to say about techniques and things like that. It all made sense. It's like I can do the moves literally and they may make, you know, martial sense or what have you, but they may right. not look great because they're tiny or, you know, they just look too fast. Um, they don't look explosive enough. And it made sense. And, and so I think inherently my brain understood like, right, it's entertainment, even if it right. looks real. It's because, yes, the person performing it is still a martial artist, but they have to, right, they have to exaggerate things. You know, Bruce Lee is sure. a perfect example. It's like all the okay. things that Bruce would say about him fighting in real life and him fighting for film. It's like it's entertainment. I would never fight this way in real life. I'd never kick this high. I'd never do all these showboating, but um, right. he loves it. You know, so I'm catering myself, my persona to the audience, you know, like, and I think that's a, a great reminder of uh, anything in general in forms right. of entertainment, even comedy, you know, like th there's that whole stigma of most comedians in real life are very quiet um, because, you know, they, they're putting on a persona nine times out of ten when they go and right. perform. It's not like they live their lives like, you know the whole time. They're not a, a clown or a comic 24-7. They're people. But, right, right. for entertainment purposes, they, they put on the persona as need be. Um, Did you watch the classic films with like Sammo Hung, Yoon Biao, and, and Jackie Chan? Yeah, absolutely. That was, yeah. that was like my bread for a long time. And then I watched Hong Kong cinema, you know, like the actual everything. From, you know, uh, the dramas to the romances to the comedies and things like that. Like, so many different directors, and, and that led me to so many other different, you know, Asian genres and, and European genres as well. Just, it, for me, I guess, like, when you hear a lot of some people talk, not that I'm, I don't want to generalize, but I feel like, you sure. know, especially with the younger generation, it's easy to go on YouTube and find a clip, right, of a classic right. movie. And right. even if you watch a Jackie Chan film and whatnot, you know, you're like, ah, of course, I hear this is a classic, so I'm going to watch it, right? But right. I remember, you know, these things being new to me, like, even though they've been out in smaller waves, like in tiny film festivals in the States, you know, there was no tape. You'd have to go find a VCD, and then if you found a tape, like you said, sometimes the American cuts are different. Right. And you go watch the tiny cut, and that's different. Um and so, like, I would have to go and order online these DVDs, you know, or go to these um, Chinese shops and find VCDs or DVDs. And that was, like, the beauty of it is sometimes the movie would be great and sometimes it wouldn't be. It was, like, a little bit of Russian roulette, but it was cool. It was, like, going to a library and picking up a book. You know, like, this looks interesting. I'm going to read this book. You know, I'm just going to go see what this is about. And sometimes right. you get that jackpot. You're like, oh, well, I want to I wanna see more, like, you know, watching John Woo for the first time, watching Stephen Child for the first time, or Ringo Lamb for the first time, like, you know, Claire Park, like, watching all these different genres of people um, and seeing their progressions, you know, some good and some bad. To me, that was the, the coolest, is, like, just being able to see and appreciate everything. And nowadays, I feel like it's, it's more about watching a scene out of context, you know, or a film right. out of context. As opposed right. to really just like just watch it for what it is. You don't have to like it, but I feel like most people just wouldn't 
out of the blue sit and watch a film, you know, sure. of any kind. You, you um, know, I was, I was talking to Noel Vega the other day, and he, and he had Semo Hung live, live at his house for nine months. And we were talking about all the <laughs> – yeah, it's insane. I mean, the one thing they had in common was they loved golf. But talking about yeah, the old days, Jackie Chan, working on Once Upon a Time in China and America – and watching mm-hmm. watching all the films of of of, of uh, Jackie Chan, it's amazing how these guys really worked out. It's amazing that they were even successful at what they did because yep. they really put their life on the line. Yeah, they, no, they totally did. You know, there was um, there's a some stories that I've heard. You know, from guys working uh, back then. Like, I've had the pleasure of. Uh, meeting Richard Norton, you know, once or twice. Oh, yeah. He would just say, you know, like, those guys are the real deal. Like, they they come in, you know, they're super nice and gracious, and then when it's time to turn it on, they turn it on, you know? And, and then the moment it's cut, it's like it's, it's back to normal, but, you know, right. we'd be like, they're, they're professionals. They would come right. at you, and if you're not ready, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll make you show it. They'll make you feel silly not because they're necessarily better martial artists, just they're so dedicated to the craft that right. you're like, oh, how do they know how to do this? But it's because they've been <laughs> doing this, you know, since they were teenagers, learning sure. how to do it as stuntmen and going and do it. Like, I remember Richard telling me stories about how Samo, like, you'd never know it, but he's such a legitimate martial artist, but then he's so yeah. humble about it in his way. Right. You know? And he's so yeah. gracious and you know, he's like when they did that fight in a Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars. He's like, you know, he's so <laughs> like he would still want me to hit him and do this. And he's like, ah, right. I don't know. Like, no, you're you're the bad guy. I'm the good guy. I have to lose, and then I can beat you up. You know, like right, right. This works, but we need to make you look good because then no one's gonna believe you. You know, right, and, right. And it makes sense, and it's true. It's like. I think that's what's so great about that era. Right. The stories, the films aren't always great, you know, but right. the, the characters, the iconic themes that they had were so fun and, and so relatable. You know, it was just, it's very much like cops and robbers. You right. Know, who was bad, who was good, why they had to beat them. And they always made the, you know, for the most part, the good guy work for it, you know? So it felt very right. earned. Let's yeah. go on to your let's go on to your resume. You know what 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 did you tell your family when you wanted to do what you did? Were they supportive? Were they were they were they resentful? What was their response? Uh, <laughs> they they were supportive ish. I, I think mainly because uh, ish. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, I get it. it's the whole stigma of yeah when you try to do anything in the arts. You know, it's like, oh, no, here we go. Um, right. Because, you know, they, they would hope that you get a real job and, and get something to support. And, I mean, listen, sure. if they weren't supported, they wouldn't allow me to to go and, and do the things that I wanted to do. But at the same time, I would say earlier on, I'm sure they thought it was a phase of some kind. Like, okay, you're going to go to school, and then halfway through, you'd probably be like, yeah, this isn't for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and then change my major, you know, but I didn't. And I kept going and doing things. And then, right. you know, they were supportive of me kind of going out and filming stuff on my own. But then same thing. They're like, okay, this is a phase. 
eventually maybe you'll meet somebody and then you'll settle down and get a real job, you know, or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I didn't get a real job, you know. <laughs> yeah. My, my job, I mean, I, I worked a lot of different retail and things like that to support myself, like we all have had to do in, in different ways. But anyway, uh, it really? wasn't until I, I started, like, going and doing um, independent projects and kind of traveling to do them. Right. You know, like, right. like at least getting like paid to travel or montanary pay just to be a part of it, things like that, smaller things that they're like, okay, maybe, maybe things are happening and changing, you know, like right. you're not just, not you shooting it. Like now you're working for other people and at least getting paid something, you know? Right. Right. Um, and then, yeah, it wasn't until I did like, I guess my first, what they call run of a movie that, right. you know, they were like, Oh, Oh, you're working, you know, like, right. Right. You know, you're actually busy and not working for some independent thing. Like you're actually legitimately working for X amount of months. Um, well, you, you, you have some huge credits going on there, but l let's start off with the first one. I, I begin, uh, you know, I, I believe it's ruthless is the first thing you started on. Am, am I wrong? Uh, that was like one of the first independent productions that uh, I coordinated, you know, like quote unquote, I guess, you know, action coordinated or fight coordinated. And sure. um, yeah, that was actually a lot of fun. That was for, uh, there was an old contest called True to John Woo. And that was back in, hmm. thinking, geez, I said, I'd have to look it up myself. Let me see. 2007. Yes, there you go. 2007, um, there's a game, I think, on the PlayStation 3 called Stranglehold, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Which was kind uh -huh. of based on, like, whole world and things like that. And, um, yeah, like, they had this contest where you would make a five-minute or less short. I think maybe it was actually, like, three minutes or less, kind of fitting the themes of, you know, John Woo. And then um, if it got voted on publicly, the the final two – would get um, viewed by John Woo, and then they and then they get picked, right? Like one person gets a prize, another person gets a prize, that kind of thing, um, which is cool. And so there was a local filmmaker named Rich uh, Wolgamuth, I believe his last name was, but he was directing something. I had a friend of mine named Sean Bernal, and Sean Bernal would go on like Craigslist and look up, you know, castings for for small independent things. That's kind of how we got our first uh, independent jobs, you know, and then. Yeah, Rich was looking for guys to be part of this John Rue short. He casted Sean as the lead, and then Sean's like, hey, I know a guy that can, you know, come and make some of this stuff uh, look good. And so it was cool. It was just this ragtag, very independent. We shot it in Rich's uh, – his dad had, like, a painting warehouse or something like that. Right. A construction warehouse. And it right. looked very much like you know, the 80s drug lab. And we would just – like, you know, kids, we're all young, like, late teens, early twenties, a lot of us. And, you know, we were doing squibs for the first time on our own, like very horror film style, you know, all practical. The only thing we didn't do practical obviously was the, the gun effects, but you know, that was like after effects super early. Um, and we shot it in like three days, I want to say maybe three and a half days. Wow. Then me and Rich together, I think I stayed at his house for the weekend. Um, we edited the short, in like 48 hours so we had to edit it and then upload it and you know that was back then that even 
even at 2007, because um, we shot it on tape, uh, Panasonic uh, DVX. And, you know, we had to capture all the footage right, then we have to put it into the timeline, then we have to color it, then we have to send the clips that are going to be, you know, rotoscoped, like After Effects, the gun stuff, then we have to do sound, then we have to upload it. And when we, I remember we were uploading it, it was like on MySpace or something. Um, the servers are only so fast, and everyone else is trying to upload their short film. So I think we barely, we barely got it in. And yeah, we were we got like audience awards, if I'm not mistaken. We got wow. um, like you know most viewed, and it was like one of the favorites. So it was viewed by John Woo. Like Rich ended up getting this cool letter and like plaque that it was viewed by John Woo and everything, and and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I, I learned so much. Not even just working for somebody else, but just like, I guess it was a, finally a time to to prove all the theories that I've been testing, right? Like all these things right. that I know, like, hey, these is what the Hong Kong guys did. You know, they did these kind of edits or they did these kind of in-camera tricks and, and it'll work. Like, it's, you know, it's a perfect time to try it. And everybody right. that we used, um, you know, nobody was really stunt people. I mean, even us, my friend, Sean and I, like I said, it was we were starting to shoot fights and stuff, but, you know, we, we didn't have any professional credits. We didn't really know what we were doing. We were, we were just like, yeah, we know how to do this, you know. <laughs> we figured it out, but it was cool. Right. It was a really good time. You know, I'm really interested in the, the bilingual film you did, which is You Soy an Hombre Loco. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's one that we did uh, with that a friend of mine, Vlad Rimberg, that's the first time that him and I and uh, Sean and other members of this like crew and team that uh, I helped create called the LVP Stunt Chicago. The LVP okay. stands for Lazy Bone Productions, which is uh, it's like an old inside joke between um, me and my friends because the original five, uh, including myself, that started it were all minorities, either of hmm. Asian or Latino descent. Right. Um, or African-American descent. And we did it because, you know, the stigma of a lazy minority, right? You know, but the irony is that we would always shoot something probably like two or three times a week, if not once a week, you know, just try to go every every week or weekend, just figure out a location and just, you know, figure out a fight. Just shoot right. that. That kind of led right. us doing these independent things. So, uh, with Loco, Sean and I had always wanted to work with uh, Vlad Rimberg because Vlad Rimberg in LA, he's worked with so many up and coming that are now, you know, again, amazing doubles coordinators and choreographers back when they were just starting out as some people, you know, like him and Sam Hargrave used to work together quite a lot. He grew up, um, being high school friends with another, uh, famous coordinator, uh, Travis Wong, who's a, another peer of ours. And Great guy. You know, so exactly. It's like Wad would constantly be in the mix with all these guys. And, at you know, for us at the time, it was coming up with stuff that were like, wow, we'd really love to be a part of it or, or emulate it in some way. And so finally, Sean was like, you know what? We always talk about going to LA. Why don't we pitch in together, look at a plane ticket from LA to right. Chicago and bring Vlad here? And so that's what we did. And we found one for like 300 bucks. Right. So, you know, we told Vlad, like, yeah, if you're interested, we'd love to fly you out and we'll house you and we'll just spend like a weekend and, you know, 
whatever you want to do, we'll do. And that's right. what we did. Um, and so on the plane to Chicago, Vlad created this whole story in his head. He had, you know, this very loose outline. We did like very tiny rehearsals just to get the idea of certain styles and performances. But then it was really sure. you know, very independent and off the cuff. Like the way we shoot is very much like the Hong Kong guys. We have a theme or a story. We have something mm-hmm. in the base and then we just kind of go for it. You know, we go and figure out locations. We try to make the choreography interesting to the location, um, and we just try to make sure the story is consistent. But right. nothing's ever set in stone. Nothing's ever really pre-rehearsed. Nothing's ever really fully fleshed out because sometimes when you're there on the day, uh, like those guys, it gets fleshed out there. You're like, oh, you know, I like this theme, or maybe we can right. do it this way, or maybe it's this. So it's very much like uh, jazz and performers, you know, just constantly bouncing ideas back and forth. Um but yeah, we did that whole short in in about three days, you know. And right. I want to say what there's probably like four fights I think of that whole short. So yeah, we shot shot like four, maybe five fights in three days, including the story points. And then Vlad and I co-edited it over the phone at the time because like YouTube is around, but it's not like what it is today, where again. Um, editing a whole short with like sound and everything. It's not like right. I can, you know, uh, take a video, FaceTime it to him, and he's like, oh yeah, make this change or do this. You know, we have to like talk on the phone, or if he wanted to see the whole short, I have to export the entire short, put it up, and then he makes his notes, and then I have to interpret the notes, and then, you know, so it was very kind of, uh, I guess, archaic in a way. And then it wasn't until that following year, like in, I think it was in June, I went finally to LA for the first time. Right. Um, one to finish the short and one to just go to LA and, you know, meet people that I've always wanted to meet. And yeah, in like the first 15 minutes, I think the first night that I'm there or something, we finally finished it and put it out, but it took, took six months to edit it doing that process. Oh, wow. You know, over the phone and stuff. Um, but it was, it was really cool, you know, and, I'm very grateful yeah. to to Vlad for helping us make that because that changed uh, all of our careers after that. You know, like well, from we, well from 2007 to 2014, you made a, a gigantic leap into making mm-hmm. independent films to making bigger films. Like you did Agents of Shields, Divergent. How did that How did that work out for you? How did that feel to make that kind of jump? It was very daunting. You know, because <laughs> it, it's like, I think it's like a lot of some people's um, upbringings initially, right? Like, even if you want to come and do stunts, I don't think you're ever really fully mentally prepared to do it um, until you go and, you know, you taste that first idea of like, oh, this is the job. You know, this is what it entails. Well, so, for example, after after Loco, we got uh, all noticed by 8711. Um, right. Yeah, Chad and Chad Stahelski yeah. invited uh, myself, uh, Sean, Vlad, and then another peer of mine, Brendan Cure, to come, uh, you know, come out and check out their facility. And he kind of interviewed all of us and pitched us and basically was like, hey, you know, we like what you guys are doing. You guys go out and make these things on your own. Um, you know, if you guys are interested, you can be part of the company and help people out, you know, help us out and kind of get a, a leg up. So it was like 
the initial door in, you know, but that happened in what, 2012 for me, like January, 2012. Right. Yeah. And then, um, I got to meet a couple other coordinators. J.J. Perry was one of them. And I stayed in contact with J.J. Perry for the next, yeah, like two, three years. And then it was in 2013 um, that he came to Chicago with Garrett Warren. And I'd heard yeah. of Garrett Warren just because of his pedigree and stunts and um, sure. and things like that, you know. And, and then, uh, yeah, once they came to Chicago to do uh, this film called Divergent, um, JJ, you know, I'm going to fight coordinate it, but I've been watching your guys' stuff for a while and it's been improving since we've met. So, you know, I want to put you in front of Garrett and hopefully he'll hire you guys because we have to hire mainly local. Um, mm-hmm. but I think you guys will fit the bill because it's, it's a mainly a world, you know, set for teens and we all had a young look. So he's like, you know, I think it'll be cool. And that's right. the first time I met, uh, Garrett and, you know, thanks to JJ and Garrett. Uh, they really gave me an opportunity, myself and a lot of the team members um, from here, to springboard. Because after doing that well, whole they, run of that film, yeah, they we, certainly we, are yeah. no, they certainly are no fuss, no muss kind of kind of human beings. I remember um, meeting Garrett, and he met uh, myself and like you know uh, three of the other guys, including Sean, and. Yeah. You know, after we did like this whole group meeting, he's like, "Okay, you you stay behind." You know, it was me him, <laughs> and JJ, and he's like, "All right, yeah. I'm gonna come tomorrow. Uh, we start at this time, and you're gonna be assisting JJ with the fights, uh, and that's it. Don't fuck it up." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like them. You know, and and he he was he was great. He was a a very good um, first one coordinator. Because not just because of his intense style, but just the way he thinks. It's not it's not very literal in the stunt sense. It's very much like a director. It's very much like a designer. It's very much story based. Um, and then on top of that, uh, I learned how to budget things and figure out um, how to stack, you know, performers and players and figure out how to schedule and then train actors and all these different things that we had to do. And then on top of testing the stunts, you know, testing a lot of the gags that the actors would do or some of the doubles would do. Uh, so I got to be on wires a little more for the first time. Right. Before that, I just learned how to, you know, get lifted in the air and kind of travel and do very small things. But, you know, immediately he's like, okay, you're going to go and, and test, you know, this rig. It's like 30 to 50 feet. Have fun. Don't break your legs. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I kind of looked at you, like, all right, yeah, I better see something cool when I come back. I'm like, okay. And uh, and that's, yeah, that's how it was. It was just very trial by yeah. fire. But I learned so much. And that was the first real case of doing um, what's now is so common, but doing previs for right. film. Because we only had a month of prep. And right. I think I did like 20-something versions of every fight in that movie in a month. Wow. Wow. I was training the actors. And you were working, everything. you were working really hard. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was wild. But, but that, that was one of your first times working with Garrett. I know you worked with Garrett again, but before we get there, let, let's talk a little bit about the player because I, I, I really oh. love this show a great deal. You know, I, I yeah, watched it myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? Because I, I love that show. 
it was awesome. I, that's probably one of my favorite shows um, that I really got to work on. I, I got courted by uh, one of the coordinators, Chuck Jeffries, who I've known yeah. for a little while now. And, uh, and Chuck, Chuck is a great guy. Fantastic, yeah, fantastic mentor, fantastic uh, choreographer and coordinator. And he's been really close with Wesley um, since Blade, you know, because he was right. one of the choreographers. And right. yeah, like Chuck at the time, I think Sean and I did an audition for him because Wesley was trying to do a different movie, I think a little bit more comedy based. And they right. were going to do it in New York. So, you know, Sean and I were trying to kind of breaking wherever we could. We're still living in Chicago. But anyway, uh, after Diversion, I made the move to L.A. Um, that same year in 2013 in August. And then right. I was kind of getting my feet in L.A. and just, you know, seeing how the scene is there. And then, yeah, Chuck and I have been in contact uh, for a while. And he finally was like, hey, I'm going to come to L.A. You know, let's let's finally meet up because we've always talked on the phone or email and whatnot. And right. We met up, and he was like, yeah, so I'm doing this TV show with Wesley. Um, he was going to bring in another guy that I knew from New York, uh, Zach Roberts, and he's like, you know, we'd love to have you be part of the team and, you know, just help assist us and do pre And he's like, you know, wherever I can help you grow, I'll, I'll put you there. And he did. It was great. It was like we literally coming in every day was coming in, making up a bunch of fights, and going home. And that was it, right. you know? Coming in, right. uh, helping the fights get shot, going home. It was like the coolest feeling. Just everybody was super cool to work with. We got to hire a lot of people locally. Um, Wesley was super nice. Yeah. And yeah, like being able to work with and, and meet Wesley Snipes and, you know, discuss like martial arts and action films and things like that. It's like, right. you know, like how is that not a dream? To go, <laughs> to meet no, absolutely. People, you know, like Nino Brown, like all these characters that I grew up watching him play. Right. Like, oh man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, he he had a beautiful jump turning back kick. You know, it, oh, it was yeah. re, it was really a wonderful kick. He was one of those kind of personalities that, you know, for the first time in America, we had somebody who knew martial arts in a way that we we can understand. We did have the, you know what I'm saying? We we did have the Steven Seagal, but I don't think anybody really respected him uh, very much. And uh, we had uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and the same goes with mm-hmm. that one. Whereas I don't think a lot of people really respected them the same way that when we saw Wesley Snipes going to a Marvel film and the way he did his movements, it was really fantastic. Especially when he did um, Joss Whedon's film for the second Blade Two. Oh uh, yeah, um, Guillermo del Toro. That's right, with Blade Two. Oh, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, man. Like, you know, Wesley was was so cool to talk about all those experiences. Like, you know, I asked him a lot of different questions about yeah. working with Spike Lee, his transition from being, you know, an actor, actor. Oh, Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon wrote one of the Blade films. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Go ahead, continue. Um, but then yeah, like, like you're saying, like his love for martial arts was always there. He's always a lifelong martial artist, and finding his way to, you know, transition that from being a legitimate actor to be like, I want to show people that I can do martial arts and also bring martial arts to the screen. Um, Right. So it was fun, you know. I. 
I don't really remember. I don't know if it was. Yeah, actually, I don't remember why. Because I remember we were working on the player, and then it just, you know, NBC just fizzled kind of out. It for yeah, yeah it just, it just fizzled. It just fizzled out. You know, the the, the broadcasters of the day were very fickle. And, uh, you know, they were canceling shows left and right. Uh, I, I didn't think it was a show that was worthy of being canceled. But, you know, they were canceling shows that were even even better than that show. And there were shows that, that in, in turn were a little better. But I want to talk about Creed. Uh, Creed is, is an amazing film. Uh, you know, yep. it really brought Rocky back. Rocky won was nominated for an Oscar. It was an amazing film. And Rocky Two as well, and only until Creed did it really bring it back into the forefront of Oscar-nominated type of filmmaking. What was it like working on that film? Uh, well, I was just brought in for uh, additional photography. There was yeah. the opening scene of the film, uh, right. you know, where that, that little oneer that comes sure. in and introduces, you know, Adonis for the first time. And that sure. was through uh, coordinator Larnell Stovall, who got yeah. it through the original coordinator, uh, Clayton Barber. Mm -hmm. um, Clayton at the time was coordinating a film in China, I believe. And so he, you know, had Larnell do the uh, additional. And, you know, funny enough, like, I believe, yeah, I believe I was going to go um, – meet Clay, we like just missed each other really because he was prepping Creed as Larnell and I were doing the, um, there's that remake of Kickboxer that we right. did at the time, uh, right. Alain Moussi. And it just would have been cool to, you know, talk to him more. It wasn't until later when I did Iron Fist that I worked with Clay, um, who's another really great mentor of mine. But uh, yeah, like just being able to, to do that beginning scene you know, even though it was it was so small, it was just really cool to be part of that process and to do something that's not martial arts based. Even you know, even that opening is just these these kids fighting, right? These teenagers, right? Just letting out the emotions of everything. Um, right. And I'm really big fans of of scenes like that where it's really right. more about the, the character and less about the the martial art or the styles. I mean, that's like my popcorn sure. version of myself, I guess. But sure. I do. I really enjoy like when it kind of gets down to the nitty gritty, but it was, it was great to just be even a little part of that. Cause I agree that film very well done. Very excellent. Now you did mocap as well. Now what brought you into mocap? Uh, I remember there was a, there was a studio here. I think there was a, one of the mocap studios. Um, for one you of the did, you did, called, you, cause you did Batman, uh, you know, uh, uh, several times. And these are these are hard projects to do. Oh, yeah. And these, yeah, yeah these, yeah, these, later, but. yeah, these are more the narrated films, uh, narrated uh, stories, and what have you. But they were wonderful stories. Yeah, no, those were the Telltale games were really cool. Um, yeah. With mocap, it just kind of, I think mocap always kind of just fell in, and never was something I really pursued. But I learned a bit about it back in Chicago. Uh, you know. NetherRealm Studios, the guys who make Mortal Kombat, still make Mortal Kombat here. They have a studio here in Chicago. And, um, yeah, with uh, Telltale, we had a friend of mine, Vlad and I had a friend, Sean Finney, who was an animator there. And he had just left the company, but one of his friends was, you know, going to start directing um, this Batman series they were doing. 
so they needed references like previs essentially to um, animate things because the company is a really independent company so they don't actually do true mocap what they do is they hand draw everything um, and they use references very much like you know old Disney films they would hand draw all the, the fight scenes and then animate that into their program um, but because you know they're just animators and they would normally take from uh, movie references Sean was very nice to uh, Lev Lott and I have a meeting with them and just, you know, we pitched them on the idea of, hey, because you guys do so much uh, stories like film, let's treat it like a film. Let's do previews for you. And that way you can get a sense of what the scene is based on the stories you guys have. And then you guys can, right. you know, take what you want to take from or create something right. new if you want, you know. And luckily they were very keen on it. And Vlad and I had a blast doing two seasons worth of the game um and it was it was a cool transition to like get them to see the benefit of doing something like previs um so that way they have an idea of what right. they're going for but at the same time even for us because the telta guys were such great writers they really right. really were in depth about the mythos and the characters and the, the spin of what they were doing with batman um that it was a really nice uh i guess balance for us finding right. like character styles and things that were just, you know, visually um, recognizable. So that way you right. know what each does and everything. But yeah, we you know, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, you're so educated. I mean, you, you remember everybody's name. You're so kind to, to know the people that are around you. We unfortunately only have two hours <laughs> to do this interview. But you're, 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 <laughs> I mean, you, you, you know, you're one of those characters that knows everybody. Whereas I have to like push people to remember the things they've done, remember the people they've worked with, what have you. You have such a gigantic resume. And, and I want to get through. I want to get through the, through it all, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I want to get. I want to get through it all because you know I would love to do a second interview with you where we can just simply just chit chat about film and what have you. Uh, but yeah. you know, you're one. You're one of those people that are is extremely educated about the people that you've worked with, and and you know, I'm I'm sure that they are more than honored that you remember them, which is a fantastic thing. But let's talk about Logan right now. So you worked with you worked Absolutely. at Logan. Now, did you work with um, Did you work with Tekka? I mean, we 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 know the same people, obviously. Yeah. So, um, who did you work with on that film, and how was that in previs? Uh, so I got to, you know, obviously got hired by Garrett Warren, and then um, my friend yep. Steve Brown, who was the assistant coordinator. That's right. Uh, just to give a little backstory on that, we so we did. Um, do you remember X Men Apocalypse, like the film? Yeah, of course. It? Yeah. There was a scene there, the Weapon X scene. Oh, did so, I skip that? Did I skip X Men Apocalypse? No, I want to bring that up because what was cool about that is um, Steve and I helped Garrett design that like quick scene. Right, it was kind of a one-off thing. We thought it was super cool. We're like, hey, we get yeah. to be like where he's running up, right? his, running up the steps, yeah. going towards Apocalypse. Um, no, it's like basically it's the Weapon X scene. He's got the helmet on his head. He just escaped from the facility. He's kind of killing all these soldiers, right? Oh, so that's the great scene. Yes. And so we designed that for, for Garrett. And then, um, you know, again, Steve and I were like, it was just really cool to be a character that we loved watching as a kid, right? Reading about as a kid. 
And then probably not a few months later, you know, Garrett let Steve know that, hey, I'm probably going to do Logan, thanks to the previews that we did. And we're like, great. And then once we found out that, you know, Logan is this very gritty, uh, down-to-earth, very Western story. Right. Um, it was like, whoa, it's not a departure from what was, but it was the same vein, just now very grounded, you know? Um, but yeah, James Bungles is, is fantastic, by the way. Yeah, yeah he is. He's, he's great in person, great director, directed some of my favorite films for sure. And yes. uh, yeah, he was, he was amazing. Like everybody was amazing. He was a gem, you know, like uh, just everyone involved. And in terms of the sons, like we had a, a killer team, you know, right. Gare brought in the best of the best. We had obviously Daniel Stevens, who's been uh, Jackman's double for a very long time. Uh, right. Had a uh, Marissa came in later, Marissa LeBog. But when we mm-hmm. prepped, we prepped with Tecla. Marissa LeBog is, is amazing. She's an amazing human being. Absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I think she was busy at the time. We brought her in for prep a little bit. And I think she was busy at the time. But we had um, another girl, Rissa Kalar, who was our yeah. double. And then once action got very heavy, then we brought in Marissa as well. Um, right. And then, yeah, you know, I remember – uh, Garrett saying in your interview that, yeah, it was, it was one of those old school practical films. And he's absolutely right. Like there was many times, you know, Steve and I working on other films had learned, you know, a bit about visual effects. But of course, Garrett working on, you know, real films like Avatar and, and Lincoln, you know, not that right. films aren't real. You know what I mean? Like working on these Oh, you listened to my interview films. with Garrett, obviously. Yeah, it's like. Because it's, it's he's got such a vast knowledge, and so working with with him on Logan, he really yeah. challenged Steve and I to be like, "Hey, I know normally we would say, okay, the visual effects go here, this could go there." Right. He's like, "How are we going to do that in camera? How are we going right. to save time and money so we can implement that elsewhere?" Right. And it was like an evolution compared to when I worked with him on Divergent, you know. Right. And so, yeah, that movie was was very hard on everybody. Because it was yeah. such a demanding movie, you know, a lot of people got beat up, <laughs> understandably. Um, did you meet? Did but, you meet Ashley Hudson? Uh, Ashley Hudson? No, I did not. I okay. did not meet her. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great movie to be on. Um, I was a, t- a tough a tough experience. Well, I mean, tough in a good way. You know what I mean? It's yeah. one of those ones that that you grow so much from learning from everybody and just the process. But I think what made it worthwhile was one, the stunt team was excellent, of course. And then right. two, um, seeing Hugh's enthusiasm for it. Right. You know, just seeing him turn it on and off in an instant, being so gracious and kind to everyone, especially the stunt people. And then once he turned it on, turned it on, the moment they say yeah. cut, he's like, cool, it's good. You know, like having a ball always. Um, right. How about Eddie Devonport? Did you meet Eddie Devonport? Yeah, yeah. Eddie was the other double that we had. Um, yeah. Eddie, yeah. Eddie and I have been friends for many, many years. Yeah, it, it's he was. Uh, I always, I always call him X twenty eight as a as a joke. <laughs> you, you were X twenty eight, weren't you? That's so funny. Yeah, Eddie was great. We had a lot of great yeah. people on that show. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. Like, 
during the time, it was very hard to tell how the movie was going to end up really being because we were constantly right. just, you know, refining it, refining it, refining it. But uh, once I finally got to see it, you know, live, right. I think it, it definitely one of those films that made me really proud to see, mainly because the audience reacted to everything, you know, the story, right. the characters, all the action, and then it just made did, me... Did you, did you cry at the end? Uh, no. But, <laughs> but really? Wow. Yeah. yeah, I cried. I cried at the end. I'm sorry. You know, when he held onto her hand and like, you know, you, when you look back at Wolverine where, where it, you know, it's like, I see your death and, you know, you're holding your own heart in your hands. It just, it mm-hmm. just made it really, and, and, and Mungo made the same comment where it's like, you, you have those two pieces together properly. It just, it just was really heartbreaking. Yeah, I thought it was um, a great finish, and I yeah. I really hope they don't do anything to it for a long time. You know. Yeah, you can hear Garrett tell you. You heard Garrett's uh, interview where he he was he did not want Wolverine to be recasted at all. Yeah, I, I I'm thinking I'm in agreement with him because you know not not to say that I get it like Hollywood's gonna find their way as they always do, but I agree. Like, right. I think. You left such a legacy on that, right? Film uh-huh. and that movie, that that was such a great swan song. I don't really, man, right. I don't know. I don't know who could even fathom to do anything like that. Not even no. It it it, ha- it just has to be different. You know, in some yeah. ways, it just it just ha- it has to be a different character, a different way, a different style, a different way of introducing the character. It can't be the same. Hugh Jackman just is the gold standard. And uh, mm-hmm. there's no way of repeating what he did. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So you worked on I- Iron Fist as well, which is a, which is a, an amazing story. I- Iron Fist and, and, and Power Man were my favorite comic books growing up. So to watch, I- yeah, to watch, to, to watch Iron Fist come into play was amazing. So what was it like working on that show? I mean, I, it must have been, you know, really really exciting it was it was great i I spent almost a a full year in new york you know i've been to new york before a couple of times just vacationing and things like that but um being in new york working locally uh again working with clay barber who really took the time to mentor everybody on that team and we had a great stunt team locally and got to bring in a lot of amazing performers um you know, nationwide and the actors were all great. Like it was, it was cool. Cause it was kind of like we were making a bunch of indie films over and over, you know, right. <laughs> the way the right. Was. Yeah. Um, cause it was definitely hectic, but uh, yeah, it was, it was like learning on the fly again, you know, constantly and right, right. Just working everyone involved, um, you know, like uh, we had David Armstrong, who's our, Obviously, our Iron Fist double. We had That's a lot right. of who was our um, Calling Wing double. Um, Malai Kim was our Davos double. And then from there, just getting all the other players in mind and everything to go. And it was just cool trying to, at the very least, you know, do a, a more martial arts based show again. Um, right. We were very thankful uh, to have Clay help, like myself. Malai was also one of the fight coordinators and Aaron Armstrong as well. Like, help us really try to convince production, you know, like 
I get it. We're on a crazy schedule, but let's try to right. put in as much time as we can. You know, it was almost like doing one-act plays constantly because you're right. constantly prepping one thing, prepping the other thing after it, and then thinking about the thing after that, uh, you know, constantly over and over and over. So you're like learning three scripts at once. You're learning about all these characters at once, trying to keep everything consistent. Um, but just kudos to everybody, you know, that was involved in that. That, now, was, that was hard in how a did, way. How, how did it make you feel? And, and I'm sorry for bringing this up, but how did it make you feel to, to see the, the hate that that show really got? It, it got a lot of, a lot of people were very negative about that, that show. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can see why, but at the same time, it's. I always kind of tell everybody the same thing. It's like, my whole thing is just to to do the best that I can, and at the end of the day, right, right, you know, I have a lot of different parties that I have to please. Like we all have to please in the production scheme, right. you know. And it, do you, do, do you think really people just didn't understand the? Do you think people just didn't understand the character? Well, at the same time, it's like, I you know, I don't know. It's. I could say yes, I could say no. I really, what I'm trying to say is just, it's not, it's not really mine. So I just try to help the people that create it, and if they're right. happy with it, fantastic. You know, if the, if the actors and the cast feel like they put in the work, great. You know, but at right. the end of the right. day, I'm here to do my part of the job and I, right. and get what I can from it. Um, you feel satisfied with the work that you did? Yeah, it's like you win some, you lose some. You know, I totally understand. Right. It's like, hey. If, if the audience is saying one thing, then hopefully if Marvel or whoever reboots it, then they understand that, you know, maybe we do need to put in more time in A, B, or right. C, you know, to, to get a better audience reaction. Which is well, like, that's a not? very positive mm-hmm. attitude, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, let's just skip on there. You know, one show that you did work on that I really, I mean, I adore and I keep on watching it. I watched the manga as well, which is Altered Carbon. What what oh, part? Yeah. Did, that that is a that is a fantastic show. Season one, season two. They also have a manga on Netflix as well, which is amazing. Uh, what what was your job on that show, and and how did you like working on it? Uh, I got in to help prep season one a bit uh, for Larnell Stovall. And I just only, I only did the first episode and the fifth episode. So not, not too long. Help prep and help Larnell design just because of yeah. the world building, the characters, you know, everybody's right. um, powers and abilities. I've sure. only seen season one. I haven't seen two yet. I'm really bad with TV shows. No. Wow. Like every time, I, I don't like starting something and not finishing it right away because I know if yeah. I don't finish, then I'm really bad at picking it back up. That's just season season two is really fantastic. It's really, like, I mean, season, season one of course is amazing. I mean, it's it's amazing, and I love the actor. Uh, season two picks off, and it, it's just a completely different story, uh, completely different personality type. But I, I still love it. It's it's still a wonderful story, a wonderful world that they built, and some great action scenes. Yeah, those were um, those were done by my friend Aaron Tony, who doubles Mackie. He was the fight coordinator nice. on that, and nice. uh, and Larry Lamb was one of the. Uh, oh, he doubled Anthony Mackie. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, because Aaron Tony has been doubling Mackie since um, 
Winter Soldier, since Captain America Winter Soldier. Which uh, you worked on. Uh, not Winter Soldier, Civil War. Oh, no, you worked on, you worked on uh, Civil War. Yeah. I helped um, do a reshoot of the, uh, the Bucky versus Black Panther rooftop fight. You've got to be kidding me. How did that work out for you? I mean, that was cool. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron Tony was um, being in the Black Panther suit at the time. And yeah. him and uh, I believe Greg Rementer had to go run it because Greg Rementer is the one who doubles for Bucky. And yeah. um, Aaron needed some help doing some biz, creating some concepts for it. And just, you know, they already had something done that was great. Um, right. But Sam was looking for a different option. And so Aaron's like, hey, you know, do you want to help me out and just, you know, see what else we can come up with? So, yeah, it was cool. Just, again, I've been very lucky to be – Sometimes when I prep, I, I don't do the full movie, but I always get to be part of these fun little scenes, you know, that end up being iconic sure. in some way or people remember. Um, so it was cool. It's like, again, you're doing Black Panther, which is awesome. Right. And then you're doing Winter Soldier, you know? So it's like, you yeah. have some fun designing things like that. So, yeah. They were one. That, that's a that's a wonderful scene. And then the helicopter comes in and brings the 50 cal out and starts shooting at them. That's really just a simply wonderful scene. Uh, let's, move, let's move on to Titans because Titans was a huge show for such a long time. Uh, we're waiting for the next season to come out, and, and you really worked hard on that show. W- what was that like? Uh, that was, you know, again, to Lorna Saval was doing that one. He's done uh, both seasons, and I had just gotten off a show in, in Budapest, and then Marno had just, you know, gave me a call to catch up. And he was like, hey, you know, we might need some additional help down the line. Um, so if you're interested, you know, if you want to come on out. And I was just lucky that at the time I was transitioning from L.A. back to Chicago. So they're filming, right. they filmed in uh, Toronto. So luckily it's super close. So right. that's kind of what we did. Was I moved and then, you know, I went to work in between. Yeah. I'd have to kind of do it back and forth. Uh you know, buying my house and going back to work, but right. um, it was great. That that team was awesome. Like, I'd never worked in Canada before. Um, yeah. But the Canadian, some people are amazing. It was we had a great team. Uh, again, brought on by Larnell. The fight coordinator was Brendan Fior, who's a fantastic. Oh yeah, he's great. Mind. You know, like yeah, it was it was another one of those. It felt very much like Iron Fist. Like again, it was a hard show because they have such a tight schedule to follow. And sure. You have such an uh, incredible fan base as well. Um, right. Really hardcore about it. But, yeah, just all the actors we had were great. They were very willing um, to rehearse and put in the time. You know, Arnell ran a, a great ship, and Brendan did amazing with the fight. So I just came in, and I just helped where I could with everything. But it was awesome working with everybody. So Nice. I felt like we had a lot of fun in the second season, and it was really cool. And I know they did start the third, but just because of everything that happened, I know they had to they had stopped. So hopefully yeah. once everything comes back to normal, you know, I can't wait to see what they do for season three. Oh, me too. I can't wait for, you know, people to get back their powers. You know what I'm talking about. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can't wait for Nightwing to really show himself properly. Um, there's two films I want to talk about before we go, because we're almost about to hit two hours here. And, and I've, I've loved talking to you and, and, I needed to push this uh, this uh, 
dialogue along or else we would never have been able to finish uh, <laughs> certain, certain, certain things in our conversation. <laughs> but you worked on Bloodshot, which was one of the last films that was out in theaters before the lockdown happened. And, and I went to go see Bloodshot and literally a week later, everything shut down. Yeah. Yeah, it's now crazy. My, that, did, did you see the film and how did it feel to work on that film? Uh, I did. I actually purchased it digitally when it was okay. available on digital. Um, but Were you happy? It was, yeah. I, I mean, you know, it was like you could see the only things that I, I would just slightly nitpick about is some of the, the action is cut a little bit too fast. Um, right. It yep. becomes a little hard to follow over time, you know, uh, which is a bit of a shame because we definitely got some really cool stuff. Um, so I don't know if, you know, that could be a runtime thing. Who knows what the reason yeah. behind that. But, um, yeah, it was, again, that was another experience, like going to South Africa. You know, I've never been to Africa at all, and especially going nice. and filming there, um, filming with the local performers. Sure. And then and doing, uh, again, like a big budget visual effects heavy movie. Um, right. Because doing a lot of those scenes, even though they, for the most part, were very practical, um, especially doing like the elevator sequence, you know, we had like two different sets, for example, for that sequence. We had a, a real elevator that didn't right. move. Um, and then we had a, a fake elevator, which was like 360, right? Just a platform with all blue around. Um, and just having to switch some days, you know, between each unit, uh, to get things going. Like we spent a good, I want to say like two weeks on that sequence, just because of the logistics, you know, and the tunnel sequence, the same thing. We spent like a week and a half on that, like all these big, huge uh, set pieces that we were able to do and accomplish. Um, I thought everyone did a great job, you know, nice. and everything and the team we had from both the States and South Africa were great. So yeah, it was did awesome. You, that was another one. Did you um, ever see the, but, uh, bat, do you ever see the bat in the sun, um, films on, on those characters? Yeah, I have. Cause I've had, um, Alvin's, uh, coordinated a couple of those. You and I have the same friends, which is hilarious to me. I know. Right. It's a small world. Crazy. Yeah, it's a it's a tiny world. Yeah, Alvin worked very hard on, on 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 that film. Very hard. Yeah, it was great. Like he, um, you know, same thing. Like with him, he started off with indie roots, and then when he got to LA, was you know kind of cutting his teeth, you know, working on stuff like that, like getting his whole thing going. And then when he was finishing up on Luke Cage, I had just come in um, for Iron Fist. And Luke uh, Cage, what a great show. Yeah. It was awesome. Like, I thought he did a great job on that. And yeah. since then, like, he's been blowing up little by little and, you know, yeah. really getting his name out there. So it's awesome. Like, it's, I, it's great that people get to do that, you know. Yeah. Alvin, uh, Alvin was the last person I had dinner with before the lockdown. He, him and his girlfriend. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I felt sad about that. I mean, you know, I, I wanted to talk to him again, but you know, he was one of those, you know, he worked on a film that I worked on before and he, he's just one of those great personalities. You know, let's, let's, let's talk about a, a film that I'm very interested in that I've read the book 
and I know a lot of the history about it. Like, I know you're a history buff yourself, but let's mm. talk about Harry Haft, which is totally. I can't wait to watch this movie. I know everything about it, but what, please tell the audience as much as you can about this. Um, we we have th- we have three thousand. By the way, we have three thousand people listening right now. Oh Jesus! Why? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> because they're very interested in you. I, I didn't know. I didn't. You know, I probably should have said this at the beginning of the interview. But yeah, we have three thousand people listening right now to this interview. When we had uh, Garrett Warren, we had fifty six hundred people listening to the interview nice. uh, right off the that, bat. That makes sense because Garrett has such a. A great personality, but uh, yeah, no, yeah. Um, with, you have a great yeah, personality too. I mean, you guys are not—you guys are not very different. You guys have the uh, a great amount of knowledge. You know the people that you work with. You're very charismatic. Uh, you care about the people that you work with uh, by naming them by name. Uh, that that's special. That's very special. When you look at presidents, the reason why presidents are so revered and loved. Is because they remember the people who, to, to some people, don't matter, and they they talk they talk about them, and they feel special. People feel special because you consider them special. That's what's special about you. And, and I had to cut you short a couple times because, you know, if you would have kept on going on, you would have talked about fifteen other people. You know, and it's like yep. I, I, I need I need to move this I need to move this thing along. <laughs> you know, you're 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 calling out a lot of names, but but it makes people feel special, and they make me make them feel like you remember them, like they belong. So that's what's special about you. Well, thank you. I um, I think that to my mother, who you know has taught me a lot about respect. So yeah, thanks very much. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, with uh, with Harry Haft, uh, that film. I, I, there's a lot to say about that film. In Barry a, Levinson, I, come on. But yeah, totally, you know, but working with a master like that. Barry Levinson is a, a master, just a master, incredible, incredible director. Um, yeah. Ben Foster, John Leguizamo, Danny DeVito, you know, uh, much more good. Uh, Peter, why am I forgetting the last name? Oh no, I feel terrible because he's also great. Uh, what's his name? Peter Sarsgaard. Sorry, I want to name all these people because it's like just working with all of these actors in, in different facets um, with such an unreal experience, you know. And again, it's it's thanks to Clay Barber. It was Clay Barber, myself, and uh, Khalid Gaji was really the only American team and. You know, we came out and to do both sides of that story, you know, the, the first half of it being in Auschwitz, you know, Harry. As, tell, tell, people, tell people about the story. What is the story about? Um, so the story is about a gentleman named Harry Haft, who at 16 was kidnapped by the Nazis um, and sent to Auschwitz. Kidnapped in the sense of, you know, when they were kind of corralling everybody during curfews and things like that. Um and so he got sent to the camps and then sent to Auschwitz. And then in between that time, um, he got pitted into these essentially death matches, you know, against fellow prisoners. And the only way to survive is to literally survive. So he had to be forced into these uh, boxing matches. Um, and then he fought 
and killed probably 70 something odd people eventually escaped um upon escaping you know had to lay low and murder some other people to survive uh then went to america and america couldn't really find you know a life for himself so he reverted back to boxing but the interesting thing is that you know he boxed to survive so he didn't he wasn't really a boxer and right. at that time you know boxing was starting to slowly get refined a bit right. um you have fighters that have some technique, but even then doing the research on it is like the 1940s. A lot of it was guys came in head down and they swung for the fences. You know, they a lot of overhand. He fought Rocky Marciano, right? Yeah. And so he got to, in his career fight an up and coming Rocky Marciano, uh, obviously lost and then retired and had a family and things like that. But in between this time, he was trying to search for his, you know, teenage sweetheart and eventually finds her later in his life, but she's terminally ill with cancer. Right. So he had to, uh, you know, live out the rest of his life, but it wasn't until he was much older that he finally told his son, Alan Haft, you know, his story, and that's the, right. the book and many other literatures on it. Um, but, yeah, that's a, that is a story. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's, about it's heartbreaking. It's Doing that movie, again, was like we did it very um, independent sense. Like, you know, it just felt like we were making this really cool, independent, biographical film. And I say cool just because it really felt like everybody was trying really hard to um, give respect and precedence to, you know, the gravity of the themes in the movie, the gravity of the person, Um, especially with the fights. Like, you know... Because Clay did Creed, Clay was so big on like, well, it's not Rocky, right? We're not doing entertainment. We're not doing right. technicality. Right. We're, we're being all about this person who in the beginning doesn't know how to fight at all. You right. know, he, he's seen prisoners for the first time, doesn't know anything. He's a street, he's a street fighter. He's, a, he's essentially a killer. You know, but it's not even, not even that. It's like, we had very interesting conversations with, with Foster about that with Ben mm. because it was like, oh, he's he's not. In in theory, he might think he is, right? At that time, right. being young, right. he's actually forced to do something. He's like, I don't right. want to kill somebody. Why do I have to kill somebody? You know, like, right. can I hit them? You know, can I just knock them out? Right. How do you kill them? You know, it's like, that's right. how do you... Bring that to a late teen. You know, it, it, it reminds me a lot of the slave days, where they put slave against slave, and they made the the one slave kill the other slave. They they had those boxing matches there as well, and yeah. uh, you you'll you'll see that in in films like um, uh, Django Unchained and what have you, where Quentin Tarantino brings it to the forefront. But there are the same stories that go back a long time to where they make two people fight and one person lives. And when I read this book right here, it, it, it broke my heart to see, I mean, literally 130 years later, we haven't changed as a group, as humans, as, as consumers of entertainment. Um, it was, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, it's, I think uh, doing a film like that and reading about 
a person like that, it it makes you appreciate many things. And, you know, just being able to tell someone's story like that, you know, again, I think the Barry or Ben said it best while we were making it. It's like, you know, this is a one story of many. You know, it's not like this is right. a story. Right. Um, but hopefully this allows other stories to also get heard. Um, right. Not just even within the Jewish community, but exactly within other communities um, and other sure. parts of history. Because you're right, there's there's so many other stories that are similar to this. Um, right. And people forget that you know war, especially, is not always uh, the front lines. You know, no disrespect to any military or any military that have fought. It's but it's the truth. Everyone gets involved, which is why it's hell. Right. There's no right good or bad per se. Because right. we all do good and bad, you know. It's a, it's a great is a, zone. Yeah, it's a, you know, Harry is a personification of that. Like, he's yeah. he's not a bad person, but he's had to do very bad in order to survive. And he's haunted right. by that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the thing. It's like, it's how do you play that and how do you make that relatable to someone? Um, and how, how does that become heartbreaking, you know, without becoming, right. um, or anything like that. So defeatist, yeah. yeah. Kudos, to, kudos to Barry and Ben. And, um, well, let me ask you a question. How, how, Barry Levinson is, is, is strictly a, a genius. I mean, he's, he's a legend. What, what was it like working with him? What was it like hearing him speak to you? Great. Like a, a master professor. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, it was great. Yeah. Like he, he was awesome. He was in complete control of the film. Um, yeah. but so collaborative and so honest and open. And I remember one of the first days of shooting, you know, we would be very, uh, catering to him, but he's like, Hey, you guys are here for a reason. You know, if, if you <laughs> feel bad, let me know and then I'll consider it. But but I need to know that it's not good because if you're really like, wow. oh, no, I think that's this, right? To to really sell this point you're trying to sell, then it's like, okay, I have to consider it. You're here, right? But right. if until you guys say that we're good to go, then we're not going to go. You know what I mean? That's like, miraculous. You have to be yeah. with it. And it was great. He he would come in, you know, if he had a call time at like 9.30, he'd come in at 9, be ready to go by 9.30. We'd probably be done by three, four at latest. Wow. Always knew what he wanted. Um, Just very respectful to everyone. You know, just, it was great. It was great. It was great talking to him about his experiences and and film and just watching him direct. And, you know, he's he's a director's director. Like, he would be as much behind the monitor as much as he would be out there. You know, like, constantly, constantly, being with his actors and and challenging them in the most subtle of ways, it was a for sure. It's like a masterclass watching someone. Would you say that, that this is the kind of movie that kind of changes you as a human being? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, like being on Logan, same thing. Being around Mangold, you know, right. was, was like that. Um, working with with Ang Lee as well, like. We, I didn't get to go on the sets of the movies that I helped design for him, but again... Wait, hold on a second. When, when did you work with Ang Lee? Um, I did two films for him. 
there's one film called uh, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime yes. Walk. Of and course. Then, uh, this is the other film um, that I got to work for Ang Lee on. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, so, oh, I'm saying Gemini Man was the other one. The Which one? That just re- Gemini Man. Oh, Gemini Man. Oh, my God. You know what? I, I don't know why I skipped that because, you know, Ang Lee is one of my favorite directors on planet Earth. You know, before we, we get into the closing perspectives of this, let's talk about Ang Lee for just a, a nanosecond. Did you did you have a chance to speak to him or have any experiences with him as a personal human being? Um, Not so much directly in person speaking to him, but just right. emails and things like that. Um, but yeah, he's a gen- he's a genius. Just all these directors that you get to really learn from, and you know, get their perspectives on and things like that. Like, so you you've had the chance to work with some of the greatest directors, really of of our time right now. I've just been lucky, I guess. You know, like I think about it, and it's wild. Right? I, I, I would I would say being lucky is meeting a pretty girl at a bar. I would say you're blessed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, me, me, lucky is like, I got lucky. I met a pretty girl at a party. But bless is, is what you've been touched by. You know, the, these directors are some of the best directors on the planet Earth. And most people would kill you for the opportunity to meet them, to, to be influenced by them, to have experiences with them. You know, there's something about you that that gets you into these positions. What would you say it is about you that, that gets you in? And don't tell me luck. What is it about you that, because nobody wants to spend 12, 14, 16, 18 hours with a, with a jerk. What is it about you that gets you into these doors that, that helps you along with these people? Um, uh, you know, I would like to say there's, a real answer. I don't honestly know, but I will say that uh, what I always tend to do is, you know, I, I don't, I don't wait for the phone call really. I, I just try to stay busy in the way that I know how to, and I try to stay open to everything. And so when these calls come, as they do, um, I've just been learning more and more compared to when I first started to just be open to the experience and open to uh, these people's visions and things like that, you know, right? It, because that's all we can do. And, and I've just been, I would say I have been very lucky in the sense of learning everything independently because I had to work, you know, when you work with independent people, everybody sure. gets passionate about their vision. Right. Sure. But I think what that has helped me understand more. And then after doing it professionally is, you know, every, it's time and place. Everybody has to have their time to shine and, and it's on you to help them get there. But instead of, I think, uh, constantly scrutinizing or, or dismissing the experience, like, well, what have you really learned from that? What is really happening right now? What are you being able to do at this moment? You know, and right. how do you capitalize on that positively, you know, for right. yourself or around you? Um let me ask I you: Do, 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 do the directors really do directors appreciate you? Do they say to you that they appreciate your work? Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't really, I don't really think about that too much. I, I would say so, but you don't I think, think about it too much. That's incredible. Because, you know, like, 
my whole thing is just to not get too married to anything. Um, okay. In this moment, because I think that's, again, it just goes to what I said. It allows me to really soak up what they're saying. Right. Um, so the hope is that, you know, when, if I'm in their position at some point in time that I can hopefully make similar sound decisions, you know, right. like what are the people around me saying? Why am I not figuring this out? Maybe it's not me or maybe it is me, you know, like I need to have that sound mind. And I think a lot of those directors that I've talked about tend to at least have that epiphany at some point, right? you know, there's obviously, there's obviously, there's obviously something about you. There's obviously something about you that, that is, that is catching people's attention that makes people want to work with you. That makes you as, as special as you are. You know, if you were, if you were going to look at your future in five years from now, what, what do you want? What, what do you desire from your future five years from now? Uh, stability, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, uh, just being able to continue to tell these kinds of stories, you know, whatever they may right. be, hopefully my own, um, hopefully directing and yeah, just being able to, to work with not even like-minded artists, but just, you know, just passionate and, and open people. So you want to direct? Yeah, I would like to. Yeah, I, I see that happening for you so easy. You know, the way that you speak about your crew, the way you speak about people, the way that you remember their names, it, it, there is no doubt in my mind that you're going to be an excellent, excellent director. As long as you have that eye and as long as you keep up with what you have, there's no doubt about that. So other than directing, do you want to produce as well, write as well? Um, maybe produce, but I'm not a very good writer. I like to write. But, um, okay. yeah, maybe directing and producing, because I also love seeing other people, um, you know, come up. I, I, I love seeing other people that have talent, uh, you know, have their voice be shown, because I know what it's like right. to, you have to, I don't want to say fight for it, but I would say not have people support you initially, you know, right. when you have your endeavor with it. I think that's very common. And I really like to see um, everybody's uh, style come out more. You know, everybody has such a unique vision of anything that we do, even in the actual right. world. I think right. it's great that there's so many new voices um, and people are finding their vision. So, yeah, I've, ha I've been very lucky and blessed to have mentors that have pushed that of me. So I would definitely love to do that for other people, you know, down the line. Before we go, you know, if there's anything you can tell a, a young man, young girl that is looking up to you right now, that wants to become like you, what, what advice would you give to that person? Um, don't be me and be yourself, but, you know, be okay with being yourself. And I think the biggest thing to remember is being yourself doesn't even mean um, sticking to your guns all the time. Sometimes it means taking a step back and right. looking where you want, you know? Just, right. just try to keep going. And when you're wrong, you're wrong. It's okay to say you're wrong, you know? Right. It, it, that goes a long way more than you think. So, yeah.
That's what I would say. What, what do you think it is about you that makes people want to work 12, 14, 16, 18, 20 hours with you? What do you think that is? Um, hopefully I make them laugh, but I, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I always, I, I'm very weird about answering questions about myself. Um, I'm not sure why, but you know, I know, I know what it is, but you know, I, I need an answer from you. Just get be get beyond that Catholic guilt and, and go straight to the answer. You know, you know, what is it about you that makes people want to spend that time with you? Because there, there's something about you more than humor that makes them want to be with you. Is it, is it your hard work? Is it your work ethic? Is it because you remember people's names? Is it because you care about the project? Is it a combination of all those things? Yeah, maybe it's a combo of all those things, you know? It's, yeah, yeah I think that's it. But that's all I can really say to to placate you right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I would, uh, you know, I would hope so, that that's a combination of a lot of things. Um, just, you know, being passionate about whatever we're doing and trying to involve everybody and then you know just time and place with everything sometimes they have to take the lead sometimes I take the lead it, it is what it is but I think the idea of pushing the team together you know right. is hopefully what allows people to to see me be uh, excuse me a part of that with them so you allow people you allow others to grow as you sit back you, you you're earnest and you're honest with the ability for allowing other people to shine. Am I right? Yeah, I would say that's probably what allows me to shine, you know, because we're only as good as the team that we have. So I've been very lucky to to learn from all the independent artists I've worked with as much as professional. Um, Right. Yeah. And like the work only looks great because everybody's involved. You know, I'm I'm not a magician. I don't just magically press record and then things happen. Right, you know, right. It doesn't matter how many hours I put in front of a computer or in front of a camera or acting or any of that stuff. It's like everyone has to be present. And if we're not present, it's going to be very evident. So, right. yeah, it's never one person, you know. Well, we are all better people for having a conversation for you. We were all smarter. We were more intellectual because we spoke to you today. And I really appreciate you taking the time out to speak to the audience today. <clears throat> if there's any way to reach out to you, how, how is that way? Instagram, Facebook, how, how is that way? Uh, yeah, the only social media that I have right now is just Instagram, um, at Emmanuel Manzanares, um, which is just my full name. Or uh, on that Instagram as well, <clears throat> you can find my email, which is a Gmail. And then, uh, yeah, people want to just reach out and ask a question, you know, feel free to. And I have the time now. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but normally, I try to, you know, people do ask a question. I try to get back to them. You know, I, I, I think I think I think very soon you won't have any time at all. You know, when you look at all the pictures and the directors that you've worked with right now, what is the one thing that stands out to you? What is the one thing that kind of, you know, pokes your mind late at night? Uh, well, 
I mean, being, you know, a kid that just grew up watching all these films and TV and whatnot, and then being able to go and meet a lot of these people in person to work with other people that have worked with some of these artists is incredible. I I remember same thing, like working on Logan, you know, telling my friend uh, Steve, like 20 years ago, if you would have told me I would have worked on Hugh Jackman's last Wolverine movie. Right. I remember going to see Jackman in theaters um, and seeing Hugh Jackman's career grow over time. If you would have told me that I would have been, helping design the action in, in literally the last Wolverine film for a, a long while, I would have never believed you in a million years. There's no hmm. way. You know, working with Barry Levinson or Ang Lee or any, anything like this. It's like I was a, a kid making crap in his backyard in his alley, you know, and, and here I am. The same process somehow has got me here. So, yeah. What, what, what do you think it is about you that got you there? What was it? Was it was it just your your fighting method? Was it was it just you pushing through things? Probably me being really stubborn, you know. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, just having the drive to, to do it and want to do it, and right. a combination of believing in myself, but I guess you know over time believing in others to help me believe in myself and and whatnot. Um, right. That's again. That's the only reason why. I've grown in any way is I've just been really grateful to be around so many great people um, that have allowed me to do what I've wanted to or expressed, you know, it's all thanks to those folks uh, that have allowed me to do that. And so here I am. And hopefully that formula keeps working. Well, you're a great person and we appreciate you being on the show here. We're going to give you the clap track right now to let you, let you go. I'm going to talk behind your back <laughs> and let, let the, talk to the audience a little bit about what I think about you and, and what have you. But, you know, you've really blessed us with, with your personality, with your fortuitous, with the way you spoke to us, with your honesty, and we appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. Thank you, my friend. Let's give a little clap, clap track here to Manuel. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Have a great day. Oh, well, you know what? Hold on a second. Before you go, uh, Chicago pizza, lasagna or pizza? Uh, pizza. Damn it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> And, and what's your favorite pizza spot? Mm, uh, I love a place called Pisano's. It's one of my favorite. Pisano's, yeah, mm-hmm. they're a great place. I, I really love Chicago pizza. It fills you up, and I want more pizza the next day. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Here goes your class. What was that? A full meal and a bite. Yeah. What, what, what do you usually get on your pizza? Uh, pepperoni. Pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. I love pepperoni on my pizza, too. You know what I like? I like sausage and peppers. Yeah. I'm that old classic guy, man. Yeah. <laughs> okay, my friend. It, it was great right. talking to you. It's been a blessing, my friend. You as well. Take care. All right. Have a great weekend. What a great guy. What a great man. 
you know, he has such obvious and excellent work experience. And he talks about his people as if they were people. That's really hard to find from a stunt coordinator or a stunt director, a, a stunt performer, an actor, to know so many names, to call them out by name, to, to know who you're working with, to be so grateful and to call yourself lucky when in actuality you're blessed. But to call yourself lucky, that's incredible. He blessed us today with talking to us about his experience in both movies and shows and short projects. He wants to be a director, a producer, not a writer. Work his way through the film industry. You know, I'll be honest with you. There is no telling what makes him what he is, but I'll I'll tell you what my opinion is. It's greatness. It's the ability to understand and empathize what other people are going through. It's the ability to care about the people you work with and appreciate the time you spend with other people. The gratitude you have when you see your life is taking a change, a turn in a position, in a situation that you cannot believe. He is grateful. He calls out other people's name like his partner Steve, like it's nobody's business. Because it adds to his life. It brings life to his life. It makes him a better person. Emmanuel Manzanares, you have absolutely blessed us today with your presence. Thank you so much. And I'm so sorry that I had to push you along because you have such a large resume and and I, I... You have such a vast knowledge of the people that you work with. It was impossible to get through all those things. For now. I hope I get get you on here for a second time. So we can talk about more things. Vastly. Thank you so much for joining us. Emmanuel, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Thank you so much for blessing us with your experiences, what you would and would not do in this working ethic. That was a great show. I greatly enjoyed it. Talking to him was fantastic. And I hope you enjoyed it as well. 
all of you out there shut down, locked down, locked in your houses, listening to these experiences. I hope you feel blessed as well, because you are. Remember, the only way to get through these times is together, is as a group. We're we're all in quarantine. This is a time of reflection. Look deep down inside yourself. What do I need to work on? What do I need to write? What do I need to watch? What movie, what book do I need to read or write? What movie do I need both need to watch or write? How am I going to act once this door opens up and I'm free to go? This is a time of reflection. Who am I going to be once this lockdown is over? I hope you're somebody special, more special than you've ever been. Think about it. This is your moment. This is your time. Emmanuel Mazinaris. Wow, I almost screwed up his name. He showed you what it meant to be appreciative of life. And I hope you learn something from him. Emmanuel, thank you so much for being on the show today. Everybody out there, be blessed, be safe. I love you. This is Cinema Files Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. Everybody be well and be kind to one another.